Good morning. What a privilege is ours to come and listen, to come and listen to a God who is, a God who speaks, a God who loves, a God who rescues, a God who is with us. Isn't that good news? And so if you come in here today and you come and you bring a burden, you bring baggage, you bring wounds, that's what life gives us. Oh, what good news that God calls us and says, hey, wherever you are, thirsty as you are, broken as you are, come, come into my presence and come and listen to what Christ Jesus, God's Son, our Lord, has done for us. Because He has done amazing things for us. He has taken those of us dead in our trespasses and sins and has made us alive in Christ. He has taken us who were far off, those who had no inheritance, no relationship with God, and He's brought us close. And man, did it cost him a lot. Cost him his own son's life. Come and listen. Come and listen afresh. We're going to be listening to God today speak. We're going to ask Him to speak clearly and boldly to us once again through His Word. And I thank God we have Him here. Uh, thank God we have a place where it's safe and free. Turn with me in your Word. We're going to be in two places. We're going to come and listen to what God has done on a story uh, told to us in God's inerrant holy word in Acts chapter 10. And we'll look at a little bit at 10 and 11. Then we're going to flip to Galatians 2, one of Paul's epistles. And we're going to come and listen to what God has done for us. Anybody here, uh, history fans, uh, history channel fans? A couple of us. Uh, a great channel. They're running a new series. Uh, it's called America, uh, the Story of Us. Uh, I'm TiVoing the whole series. I've only caught the first two, uh, but very interested to see uh, how we came into existence. What is the story of us? And as if you're watching that series, or if you're a history buff in any way, shape, or form, you realize really the story of us is the story of those who have gone before us. It's, it's our, our forefathers, uh, those who have uh, given their life to make us America. And as Christians, we know that every story ever told is really under God's hand, God's hand of providence, that God is the ultimate storyteller. And so as we look at history and we see through the eyes of, of those who have gone before us, we hopefully could see God's invisible hand of providence. But so much of our story, so much of who we are, was shaped by those who went before us. Well, the Bible is the story of us. Really, it's a story of God, and He graciously includes us in the story. But the story of the Bible is basically this. There is a God who is, and this God is mighty Creator God. And it's a story of how God created us with great dignity in His image. How we messed it up and rebelled. And how God rescued us. Not just created us, but how God rescued us by sending His Son to become one of us. It was life, death, and resurrection. That we have been rescued. We have been cleansed. We have been given life. What an amazing story. And we see in God's Word that there's a consummation of this story. That at the end of the story, God will be with us. We will be with Him. Sin will be completely set aside. No more with even the ability to sin. No more tears. No more sadness. No more brokenness. 
just unending life with a holy God as His children, as joint heirs in Christ. The Bible is an amazing story of God's love for us. And again, what we see is so much of the story has been shaped by those who have gone before us too. Those pillars of the faith, those men and women oftentimes giving up their lives for the cause of Christ. But you know what I love about the story? It's so real. It's so gritty. It's so authentic. God does not dress up any of those who have went before us. He shows us in very vivid colors that they are a lot like us. They're broken sinners. They mess it up all the time. They just seem to always need God's grace and they always seem to be stumbling over themselves. Well, we are going to look at, and we are, have been looking at, a life of one of those pillars, the Apostle Peter. And so much of our lives and our ministry has been shaped by God's grace through this man. He has had some amazing highs. I mean, if you were here last week, we looked at Peter, and he's the one who is the first in the New Testament to make the bold proclamation, this eternal proclamation, that Jesus, you and you alone are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Peter. Man, you didn't get this knowledge on your own. This had to come from God Himself. And we see Peter with an incredible uh, high in his life. That Peter gets it. And then just in a few verses later, Peter's pulling Jesus aside and rebuking him when he's talking about a cross. When he's talking about death. So you see, Peter... He kind of amazingly hits it out of the park and he amazingly swings and misses. Peter, who's amazingly seems like, man, this guy has it all going on. And then all of a sudden, in a verse or two later, say, how can he be so dumb? I love that guy because I can so relate to it. Well, last week we looked at Peter's life. Again, we're going to look at it and kind of with the flavor of Peter, amazing trailblazer. Peter. Amazing turncoat. If you're here and you love Jesus, but you have a propensity to wander, if you're here and your life is filled with false starts and do-overs and darn, I fell again, we should be encouraged. Because we're going to look at Peter's life, one of the pillars. And really the question we've got to ask ourselves is, how does his life reflect ours? And what is God teaching me? And what is he teaching us? We pick up the story where Peter is going to be used by God in Acts chapter 10 as an amazing wall breaker. An amazing part of God's story that that God's story is not just for the Jewish folks. That this salvation, you're not born into it. Or you don't get it by keeping the law. That this salvation that God offers to sinners like us is by completely God's grace through the work of His Son. And now by faith, as we give our life to Jesus Christ... We find life, in, and it's not just for the Jews. It's for, for us, for the Gentiles, for every tribe, tongue, and nation. And, and God, in an amazing vision, in an amazing vivid way, is going to show Peter that this good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone, that God doesn't play favorites. But we're also going to see that Peter and this pillar, who's used by God, who's used by God to tear down walls, his own sin is going to start building him up again. We pick up the story in Galatians where there's an argument between two pillars. One named Peter, one named Paul. These were the pillars of the church. And they're in such an argument over, you ready for this? 
a potluck dinner at church. Can it ever happen? Do people get all sideways over some of the craziest things at church? Well, we're going to see it right here that Peter and Paul, they're going at it over rules of a potluck dinner. Who's invited and who's not? You know, we often ought to see that dinners, that, that eating is a cultural experience. Have you noticed that? Have you ever gone to another culture? Have you ever been and maybe someone here locally from a different culture? Or maybe you've had the privilege of going uh, to other lands and, and uh, dining with other people. But really, truly, eating is a cultural experience. And if you don't know the taboos, watch out because you might step in some. I just recently went to Israel. You know me. You know what's coming. Did I step in any of them? You know, we went to one place. Uh, there was a McDonald's, uh, the only place we could go to. I mean, golly, you feel kind of wrong going to Israel and eating McDonald's. But that's where the tour went to. We ate the McDonald's. And, you know, I ordered a burger. It looked nothing like a burger that I'm used to at McDonald's. And guess what I asked for? Cheese on my burger. Can you put a nice slab of cheese on that puppy for me? No, we can't. That's not kosher. We don't put cheese on burgers. I said, well, no wonder you have problems over here. <laughs> and then we went down. We were in the, uh, the older section of Jerusalem, very close to the Western Wall. And uh, it was time for lunch. And they had a couple of sections of places you could eat. Uh, and you kind of go in. It's very small. You go in, you order, you get your food. And they have a few tables set out outside to eat. Um, so we went in, uh, we weren't in not, we were not in a kosher area, um, eating things that, uh, others would not eat. So I get my food, I go see and spot a table and I sit in front of another place. I just think it's all open seating and I sit down and start eating my lunch and say, excuse me, sir, you can't sit here. You're eating the wrong stuff. You Gentiles, you, you go over that way, eat over there. By the way, in Jerusalem, they take the Sabbath seriously. Sundown on Friday, when you get hungry, good luck finding a restaurant. I walked all over that town. Can somebody please open up for a little something to eat? You realize that culturally, there are a lot of taboos and a lot of significance often on what we eat, how we eat, with whom we eat. And God wants to show this amazing reality to us today. You ready for this? In Christ Jesus, we are family. And in Christ Jesus, we are all included in family. And what Jesus Christ has torn down, the, the, the veil that exists between a holy God and sinful people, he's torn that down through Jesus' own flesh what Jesus has torn down, the wall between male and female, between Jew and Gentile, he's torn it all down. We shouldn't build back up, especially over a sandwich, especially over the way we eat. Now, here is our dilemma. I'm about ready to tell you a couple of stories in Scripture. And we, 2,000 years away from the story, sometimes have a propensity to sit and see that story is over there. It happened over there. But I love what Romans 15.4 says to us. It says this, every story that happened, everything that God's Word has been given to us, guess what? It is for our lives. It's for us. And so... What we need to do today, which every time we sit under God's word, is this. 
God, what does this story have to do with me? How do I fit? God, how does this story find its completion in your son, Christ Jesus? And God, what does this story have to do with us here at Orangewood? What are you telling us as a church? How do you want to shape us? Okay, let's look in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Let me tell you what's happening. Uh, The book of Acts is God's history uh, uh, chapter or book in the New Testament. Um, It's going to tell us how the church was built including today, but it's going to start at Christ's ascension. Um, It's going to continue through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we pick up the story in chapter 10, we're going to see that this good news of Jesus Christ really is for all people, including the Gentiles. Let me tell you what's happened in chapter 10. There's a man named Cornelius, and he lives in a place called Caesarea. Caesarea is on the coast near the Mediterranean. Herod the Great loved that place. He kind of made a summer cottage there. And you should see the ruins of his summer cottage, including a pool out in the Mediterranean. Amazing place. Herod truly was a great builder. Uh, He also had a place for the chariot races right next to uh, his residence there. He built an amazing amphitheater. And the Romans kind of made that as a home base. They got the breeze from the sea. They got an amazing view. Herod kind of made a port out of the place. It wasn't even a port. There was a man named Cornelius there. And although he was a leader in the, uh, the Roman army, um, he was a God-fearer. What does that mean? Well, of all the gods the Romans would worship, he looked to the Jewish god, the Yahweh, saying, I believe that he is the true God. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to study Torah. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to try to live a righteous life. This man named Cornelius did everything that a good Jewish person would do except for one thing. Circumcision. No, thank you very much. I think we'll draw the line there. So, Scripture says he's a God-fearer. Well, he has a vision. He's up in Caesarea, has a vision, says, uh, Hey, Cornelius, God's heard your prayers. They've come like an aroma to God's nose. You're a righteous man. He sees how you love him. What you got to do is you got to send to Joppa, a little farther down south, for a name, man named Peter. Peter's going to tell you what you need to do next. Peter's in a place called Joppa. It's very close to Tel Aviv. Amazingly beautiful, looking over, again, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, he is uh, at Simon the Tanner's house, which should right, right now tell us a little indication. Interesting, Peter hanging out with a guy called a tanner, which means that a tanner deals in, with pelts and dead animals. So Peter, a good Jew, uh, is already doing things that aren't really quite kosher, hanging out with a tanner. Um, but we're going to see that Peter's going to have a whole door opened up and a lot of things that he thought were kosher are kosher no more. So Peter, it's about noon, and he goes up to the roof and he prays. And he's hungry. Scripture says he's hungry. And uh, I can relate to that. Uh, he's got a great view. He's at noontime, hungry time. He's looking out over this beautiful uh, sea. He starts to pray, and he falls into a trance. 
Now, I got, you, I got to tell you that your pastor doesn't have revelations this way. God has never spoken to me in a trance, but he's God and he can do what he wants to do. And this is before scripture was complete. But he has this trance and it's a really strange dream. It's, it's of this big sheet that comes down from heaven and it has all kinds of animals on it. Those are the, that were kosher, those that aren't. And this voice comes from God. Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Peter, being hungry, thinks, man, that looks good, but that's not kosher. Lord, my lips have never been defiled by non-kosher food. I don't put cheese on a burger like Jake's does. You know, I don't eat in the wrong places. But God wanted to make it clear. Three times he has this vision. Peter, rise, kill, and eat. I've made this clean. So Peter, uh, as he's having this vision, the men from Cornelius arrive and say, hey, our man Cornelius, he's a God-fearing man. He had a vision too. He says we're to come get you and bring you back to where we are. And so here we are in the story. God is basically saying, listen, you can't fight over potluck dinners. You can't separate yourself, Jew and Gentile. So let's look at, at God's word. There's a few verses we're going to look at. In verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 28. And he said to them, uh, this is Peter walking back into the house, filled with Cornelius and his family, filled with Gentiles. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit any other nation. But God has shown me. You may want to underline this. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So God, through this vision, is realizing, showing the, to Peter, this pillar, that it's not just for the, Jew, the, the Jews, the Gentiles. You can't call them unclean. Look at verse 34 and 35. He's there with these people. Uh, they're here to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand. It's been revealed. Now he understands that God shows no partiality. This is encouraging to us. God shows no partiality. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. He loves Baptists. Go figure. Pentecostals, Presbyterians, all those who truly love Jesus as Lord. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to God. This is, I know to us, this is just a story, but this is such revelation that God's mercy, God's Messiah is for the whole world. And then he goes on in verse 44. He says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word and the believers from uh, among the circumcised, those Jewish ones who had come with Peter, they were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, as Joel too, the prophet Joel said, would happen. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he, he was asked to remain several days. Obviously, God makes no distinction. Obviously, God was giving them eternal life. And lastly, in Acts, let's look at Acts 11, verses 17 and 18. There's a retelling of the story. This is kind of the culmination of the story. And it's this. If then God gave the same gift to them 
as he gave to us, now them being the Gentiles, us being to the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this, this gift of the Holy Spirit had nothing to do, again, with a birthright. It had nothing to do with a moral trying to live out the law. This is all God graciously giving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they have the Holy Spirit. He says, how was it that I could stand in God's way? Peter's saying, man, I can't stand in God's way. Hmm. You're about ready to, Peter. We then heard these things. They fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has graciously granted repentance unto life. Okay, there's a story. Now let's see Peter living out his faith in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, verses 11 through 16. Paul's writing to the church um, uh, there in Galatia. They have a tendency to go back and say, okay, we accepted Jesus. Now let's try to be more like the Jewish folks. And he's saying, no, no, we are saved by God's grace through faith alone, not by works. Verse 11, chapter 2 in Galatians. But when Cephas came to Antioch, and this is about the center, by the way, the center of Christianity at that time. Um, Here the, the Christians were first called Christians. Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Here you have two pillars going face to face. Why? Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, James being Jesus' brother who has risen to really the pillar in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, he's kind of the leader, the man. So certain men came from James uh, who's come to faith and has risen as a leader who will give his life for Jesus. Before they came, uh, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back, a military term, he withdrew and separated himself. Listen to this. Fearing or being afraid of the circumcised party. Are you kidding me, Peter? You're afraid of these guys? You've seen the resurrected Savior. You're the rock that proclaimed this amazing thing. You're the Christ. You've had this vision of what God is doing. Now I'm afraid. I'm afraid of these fellows who are coming from the circumcised group. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, Peter the hypocrite, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, but they're sinners too. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. This is so important because Peter knew it. Peter knew that they weren't justified by being born Jewish. He knew that they weren't justified by trying to complete Torah. He knew that his standing was in Christ Jesus alone, covered in his blood, robed in his righteousness. He knew the truth. But he didn't live it. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. May God just clearly continue to speak as we unpack a little bit of what this means for us. I've recently been reading more about the, revolu- I'm sorry, the Civil War than ever. 
It started with one book, 1864, uh, the month that saved America. And in that, I realized that Abraham Lincoln, really what an amazing leader that held us together. Not just led us to war, but held us together as a union. And what would it feel like if Abraham Lincoln, at the end of the Civil War, decided to say, now, by the way, there'll be no blacks in the White House. By the way, we're going to have separate bathrooms. By the way, it is not lawful to associate with blacks if you're white. Now, we know that that's not the story. As a matter of fact, he was assassinated in April 1864. The war hadn't fully been ended yet. But wouldn't it be amazingly hypocritical if Abraham Lincoln, all of a sudden after the Civil War, decided to say it's a good idea to separate blacks and whites. It's a good idea for them not to come to the White House or to have separate bathrooms. We would say that's crazy. There's been way too much bloodshed for us not to have a union that includes all being equal. We just have given our life for this reality. How in the world could this happen? Well, we should feel the same as Jew and Gentile. It would be crazy if God's family were separated. Because it costs Jesus' love and life and blood to unite us. You see, Peter was used in the biblical story to be the one that God was going to show, I'm knocking down the wall. And there's going to be forgiveness for Jew and Gentile. There's no more separation. Peter truly is the trailblazer that says that Christ has torn down walls. You know, religion has a way of putting up walls. I'm going to show you a picture. This is what it looks like when you pass from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. This is what religion does. Religion builds walls. Interestingly, you'll see as part of that graffiti, to exist is to resist. The Gospel of Jesus Christ says this, that Jesus has come, Ephesians 2.14, that He, listen, such good news, that Jesus Himself has knocked down the dividing wall that existed. First and foremost, that dividing wall with a holy God and sinners. It's been knocked down. You ready for this? We have access to a holy God in Christ. Not only that, We now have had a wall knocked down between Jew and Gentile that we really are one. God, through Jesus Christ, has made one new man out of all these broken fractions that want to keep on building walls. Of all the places in Jerusalem, my one little favorite place was in the Christian section, and there was an artist there named Vic. Vic had his own place, and he's an amazing painter. And I, I found out later, he, he came to Epcot and had an exhibition in Epcot. And we talked about Orlando and Florida and how hot it is. But what drew me into Vic's place and what made me buy some of Vic's artwork was this. Is he realized that Christ and Christ alone was a dividing wall. So I, I, I bought this little tile that he painted on. And he, he painted Palestine on one side. And he painted Jerusalem on another side. And he painted that hideous, ugly wall. And he says, Ephesians 2.14 is real, that Christ is the one who breaks down the dividing wall. We can have peace with Christ Jesus. And here, God uses Peter to say, this is the reality. And now Peter becomes a turncoat and says, okay, but I'm not going to eat with those Gentiles. Okay, let's look at this. What's the problem? Well, the problem is this. In Galatians 2, Peter stops eating with Gentiles. What's the reason why he stopped eating with Gentiles? 
because he was afraid. This guy saw a vision from God. It's been revealed to him by God. He's truly understood. Now he's afraid of the circumcised group. Why is this a problem? First of all, because God personally showed it to him. When God personally reveals something in our lives, and we don't live according to that truth, it's a problem. God made it clear, I don't play, play, play favorites. You've understood that. See, the problem is this. Peter's a hypocrite. He knows the truth. Paul says, you know, you know that we're not saved by being Jews. You know it's by God's grace and faith. You know the truth. You're not living it. You know the reality that God's knocked down the wall. You know that it's by faith. You know that God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. But now, Peter, Peter, now you are erecting a wall that you yourself helped knock down. You're causing a division. You're separating folks. And through your hypocrisy, others are being led astray. Even Barnabas, another church leader. What's the reason why he was doing this? Fear. Why is Peter, who's been through so much, afraid of the circumcised people from James? Three things. He had his mind again on things of man, not things of God. Peter almost always goes back to his mind on things of man and himself and not God. Isn't that true of us? Peter had his self-interest over God's interest. You know what he cared more about than the kingdom of God? You know what he cared more about than the good news of Jesus Christ? You know what he cared more about than the mission that God had called him to? His own reputation. What will these people think? What will they think of me? I don't want them to think badly of me. So I'll abort mission. I'll stop hanging out with the Gentile, my brothers in Christ, and... I'll care more about my interest. How is it with you? Where do we put our self-interest above God's? I mean, it amazes me that Peter could care more about his reputation than God's reputation. That Peter could care more about man's approval than the gospel. Are you living in fear? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ set you free? Does the reality that the God of the universe loves you and has rescued you and will never change his mind about you free you from what the world thinks about you? Can we not live our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ knowing that we have been accepted in the beloved bring it on world? You know what? They're not going to understand us and they might think that we're loony bin. But we have good news to tell. How in the world can we go back to slavery of the law and being afraid of reputation? There's one opinion that should count. It's the God who is, God Almighty. And in Christ Jesus, His opinion of us is ready for this beloved. And He'll never change His mind about us. We're His children. And the world may come and say, Live in fear and bondage of what we think of you. And unbelievably, Peter, a pillar, did. Where is this in our church? Where do we follow Peter's hypocrisy? Individually, looking at our own lives. But how about corporately? Let me ask you a few tough questions. 
is this a safe place for sinners to fellowship? Is this a safe place? I sure hope so. Is this a place that people can come and be authentic? Is this a place where people, the broken, can come? I mean, what, we look pretty amazingly similar. I don't think we should beat ourselves up for that. But I do know this. God has divided, broken down any dividing wall. In Orangewood, this better be a safe place. This is God's place. This better be a safe place for sinners to come who need to hear the good news. Because guess what? They'll be sitting with sinners who've been redeemed, hopefully. And some who haven't. I hope that there's some here who haven't embraced Christ yet because I hope today's the day. But this better be a safe place, Orangewood. We better not be a holy huddle. We better not just be all about appearance and looking good. This better be a safe place where we can bring the broken. This is God's house. Jesus Christ has knocked down any dividing wall. He's made one by God's grace. Is this a safe place? Let me ask this next question. Is this a safe place for family members to be real? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ set us free enough to say, you know what? I know I'm forgiven. And I know I'm loved. But man, am I hurting. Man, am I struggling. I prayed hard that God would show very clearly where, where is it for us, Orangewood? Where is it? What, what, what is the message for us specifically? And really what he pressed upon my heart is, is ask him, is this a safe place for sinners? Ask him this, Jeff. Is this a safe place to be real? We have some amazing help uh, pastorally. Uh, pastoral care, Louise Holzauer has come, and many of you have met with her, or Debbie Mauger, and uh, different pastoral staff. But listen, I keep saying to us all over again, we're family, we're family, but we better be a real family. And the reality is, is it's a hard way home. And a lot of us have baggage that, that we need to talk about and we need to deal with. And if this is only a place we come and we pretend and we hide our, our warts and we hide our brokenness, that's not truth. We're not letting the gospel of Jesus Christ come and heal us. My hope and prayer is, is that God gives me a privilege of help leading this congregation that more and more of the elders and I would have a place that says we got to be accessible to the broken. And we have to be real with one another. And the gospel should set us free so much that we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend that we could be authentic. You know how winsome the gospel is going to waft through this place if the reality that Jesus Christ comes and sets us free to the point where we can say, sinner, come in here because we're like you and Jesus is doing amazing stuff. And let me tell you something, when we come in here, we're going to take off the mask. We're going to be honest and authentic before the God who is. We're going to build no walls because we're radically loved by God. And we're not going to care about our reputations. We're not going to care about what do they think about me. I mean, you know, we're Presbyterians. We care if we raise our hands for goodness sakes. What do they think of me? God wants to set us free. He wants to set us free. Are we really living out what our motto says as we come in the door? For Christ and his kingdom, it's not about us. Unbelievably, Peter continually stumbles like this Jeffrey Peter forgets it's not about us Christ in his kingdom it's not about my name, my reputation, my fame it's all about Jesus Orangewood, the story of us is being written 
right now. Today is the chapter we're living right now, Orange, where the story of us is being written. It's God's story. And listen, the way we live our lives, the way we respond in faith, the way we boldly live for Christ, it will impact our children and our children's children. It will shape their story and their lives. And may, by the grace of God, may we stand here together as a family say, we're going to believe the good news of the gospel. We're going to believe that Jesus tore down the walls that divided us from a holy God and one another. We're going to live authentic. No hypocrisy. we got a story to tell and a story to pass. May God bless the story here at Orangewood. Let us pray. Father, what an amazing love you have for sinners like us. That everything that divided us from you, you knocked down. And yet, when we see those walls in Israel, we're reminded that sinful religious people build walls. And when we hear the story of Peter, we're reminded that redeemed sinful people have the propensity to build walls. Even when you use them to tear them down. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. Start with me. God, I pray that for your glory and the advancement of Christ's kingdom, that you would turn my face again toward Jesus. That his kingdom and glory would be my passion. Not man's appraisals, approval. Not self-interest. Father, thank you for telling us the truth of Peter. It scares us. Because how could one who got it so deeply lose it so often? And God, we thank you at the end of the day, our hope is not in Orangewood. Our hope is in you. That you who began a good work in us You'll be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Amen.